Please note, this podcast is a little racy in spots. If you have a delicate constitution and choose to continue listening, good for you. From PQED in San Francisco, this is the Writer's Block. Hi, my name is John Waters, and my new book of memoirs is called Role Models. In it, I, I talk about my own life through the extreme lives of others, people whose lives are they've had to be braver than I've ever had to been. They've either recovered from something really terrible that happened to them or great success or some sort of extreme that has influenced me and helped me get through my own life. And I hope my book will help you become a happy neurotic like I am. This is the last chapter in the book. Um, I'm just going to read you a little bit of it because I want you to read the whole book to feel the real ending of it. It's called Cult Leader. I'm so tired of writing cult filmmaker on my income tax forms. If only I could write cult leader, I'd finally be happy. Would you come on a spiritual pilgrimage with me? To Baltimore, naturally. Where I'd deracinate you from your family, after you've stolen all their rare art books and turned them over to our communal library. And together, we'd concentrate on what really matters in life, our infallibility. Pope Benedict XVI may have denounced filth, but we know better. Filth is just the beginning battle in the war on taste. The certain megalomania we all share will strengthen our delusions of grandeur and make it possible for us to go that extra step into what I will call radical holiness. Fellow faith followers, isolated as we are, just ex-Catholics or slacker Jews fighting over the limits of shame or guilt, or worse yet, Protestants turned alcoholic atheists or pussy agnostics who chicken out on the big questions daily. Together we can become saints of sordidness, the damned, the disinherited, the disrespected and the despised, as Jesse Jackson once so beautifully called his followers. Perverts who are fanatical in their devotion to a new dogma of dirt. Yes, a filth movement for the next century, which will claw its way down the ladder of respectability to the final Armageddon of the elimination of the tyranny of good taste a rapture of rottenness that will flower like a poisonous mold to cover the prison of acceptance. Yes, we are ready to take over the world. We'd first discuss Christian doctrine. I may not be what you'd call devout, but I do believe in the basic goodness of people. This is about as spiritual as I get. Brainwashed by angry Sunday school nuns who were furious that a child might think on his own, and later in high school by second-rate Christian brothers who were impotent when it came to performing the sacraments, I had little use for the dogma that was drilled into my young mind. I mean, original sin. The idea that newborn babies come into the world already soiled before they can let out their first cry. Not only hogwash, but especially mean-spirited hogwash. And the virgin birth? The supposed miracle of Mary getting pregnant without even the pleasure of the sex act? Now there's a real feminist concept for you. Jesus, are all Catholics nuts? Now the resurrection I can maybe understand. Every person who died will get to come back one day and walk the earth. Hi, David Lockery. Hi, Divine. Hi, Edith. It will be so great for everybody to be reunited in eternity. But talk about a housing shortage. What will a two-bedroom condo in Manhattan cost then? And will we be nude? And if not, what will we wear after the coffin? The outfit we donned for eternity would certainly be important, so I need to have someone begin designing it right now. And Jesus Christ himself? I do believe he thought he was the Son of God, but anybody can make an innocent mistake. He probably was a good man, a fashion leader, certainly. 
a little self-absorbed, a tad deluded, just like us. But as an elegant acquaintance recently pointed out, my husband died of cancer, and it took him about five years of terrible pain and agony to finally expire. And Christ was only on the cross for a weekend. What's the big deal? Well, she may have a point. Many of my friends spent years slowly and painfully dying of AIDS. Have the limits of suffering been extended in modern times? Look, I don't care if you had theological beliefs before you joined us. You are certainly allowed to have them. If your faith brought you comfort, I'm all for it. Just don't try to make me do it. But now it's time for us to come up with our own insane doctrines, our own rigid rules for cockeyed happiness right here on earth while we still have the chance. Cult followers, it's up to you. I need a mortal sin brigade who can go out there and recruit. Damaged people make the best warriors, so get busy. I'm a fascist about my work habits, and I expect you to be too. Never have a spontaneous moment in your life again. If you're going to have a hangover, it should be scheduled on your calendar months in advance. Rigid enjoyment of planning can get you high. Militant time management will enable you to ignore how maladjusted you would be if you had the time to notice it in the first place. Discipline is not anal compulsion. It's a lifestyle that breeds power. The only insult I've ever received in my adult life was when someone asked me, Do you have a hobby? A hobby? Do I look like a fucking dabbler? You'll need a new name, too. Forget who you used to be. Mr. Hatt, H-A-T-T, was my initial code name, and you, too, will need an alias. Why do you think movie stars' names are made up? To conquer their past, that's why. I want you to leave behind your debt and your parents' expectations. And even more importantly, I want a fresh identity to mold into joy and madness. Pick a character's name from one of my movies and make it your own. But select an obscure supporting player whose name is only said fleetingly in the dialogue, like Sandy Sandstone or Vera Veninger. Sometimes just a character's first name is enough. How about Flashlight or Doyle, Eater, Flipper, Dribbles or Butterfly? Adding on the last name of the person who was meanest to you in high school can be the perfect solution to the new you. You'll need a uniform, a habit, a fallen angel look to intimidate yet attract. Have all your tattoos removed surgically. Yes, it's expensive and true, it doesn't really work. But we have to start over. Clean the slate. Open up our bodies to a new lewd light. Be too thin and too poor. Study Karl Lagerfeld's hilarious diet book daily. I know I became the patron saint of chubby girls because of the success of Hairspray, but those days are over. Fat is not enough anymore, unless you were once thin and gained weight on purpose to confuse authority. This time we're all going to be lean and mean. If I could go to the gym to get the body of a junkie, I would. Guzzle tap water and only eat candy, but pick the brands with a racist or sexist names like Black Crows, Mexican Hats, or Juji Fruits, so you feel guilty and won't pig out. Let your hair grow out from whatever style or length you currently wear so my trained team of alarmingly stylish hairdressers without licenses can give you the signature cut of our cult. Longer for boys, unless they are balding, in which case hair should be drawn on, and shorter for girls, bring back the one-sided sassoon with a W in the back. A unisex cut from beyond the outer limits of severity that will confound and dominate the fashion timid is what any self-respecting filth follower should demand. Boys, never let me see a pleat in your pants. Turn your belt around to the right side so the buckle is 45 degrees off center. Nothing is sexier. The secret sign that your gun is loaded, so to speak. 
Joe D'Alessandro wore his that way in trash, and so did Joe Spencer in Bike Boy. Lustful, beautiful, juvenile, delinquent boys have been wearing their belts this way for decades of erotic confidence, and I expect you to do the same. Girls, the bigger your breasts, the higher the necklines. What you don't see is always sexier. If you're flat-chested, go topless. Prove your confidence and uninterest in the male gaze. Tight pants can be a good look for you and will come in handy when you have to climb over a fence or run from a store detective. And always be dressed in your full cult findest in case you are arrested. There is only one fashion photograph that counts in our world, the perp walk. But dressing cult is a tricky thing. One false move and you can easily look ridiculous. Now, every once in a great while, ridiculous can look amazing, but that is rare. Think of the middle-aged cult Mormon women who grieve their children being taken away from them by the government, wearing Edith Massey pink flamingo hairdos and those insane Little Miss Muffet outfits. Now, that was a great cult look. But it's a tough thing to pull off. I remember moseying into the long-gone Process Church headquarters in New Orleans in the early 70s on Ursulines Avenue and being intrigued by the cult that supposedly worshipped both Jesus and Satan, which seemed oddly democratic at the time. The process had a certain notoriety for suing the U.S. publishers of Ed Sanders' book, The Family, and successfully making them remove the chapter that implied Manson had stolen the religion's fear belief and used it as his own. I wanted to like the process kids. They wore all black clothes and were really cute in a witchy warlock kind of way, but they had one big fashion blunder. They wore cloaks. Nobody can appear all-knowing wearing a stupid cloak. Like donning a top hat or featuring a thumb ring. It's the look of a fool. Who could fuck anyone who wore a cloak? We do need a signature look, though. Black is always good, but never all black the way male movie stars do it at the Oscars. A black tie with a black shirt and a black suit isn't black tie. It's bad formal. How about we add a subtle hint of devil red to our cult black outfits? Socks that only reveal their shocking hue when you sit down and cross your legs. A red stitching around the pocket of your jacket. The tight red collar of a deranged priest. Or an all-black uniform accessorized by a satanic red handkerchief you whip out to blow your nose. Better yet, wear black rags. Rags dyed black by the hard-working cult members who will add a touch of their own red blood to show their commitment to the cause. Both men and women can add to their threatening glamour by the creative use of eye makeup. It doesn't have to be just for your eyes. Try sketching on the stigmata of show business celebrities who died for our sins. Paint in the terrible, deep lacerations at the nape of your neck to properly honor the wounds the hustler Pino the Frog inflicted on the holy man film director Pasolini. Diagram on the top of your forehead the horrible scalping Jane Mansfield went through in that fatal car accident. Draw on the violent incisions actress Capuchin must have experienced after jumping out the window and impaling herself on that fence in her successful suicide attempt. Or just imagine the invisible stigmata that some saints claim leave no marks at all but cause excruciating pain. Better yet, concentrate on the stigmata wounds that refuse to clot and in some cases have a pleasant aroma known as the odor of sanctity. I knew there had to be a name for it. Come on, let's hold hands and smell like pain. To subscribe to the Writer's Block and hear more stories, visit kqed.org slash writersblock. The Writer's Block is produced by KQED. KQED.